Welcome to Welcome the Gun Show. I am joined by Garrett. Hey, everybody. And Eric. Hello, everybody. And tonight we are very glad to be joined by James Smart of Beat Smart. Um, James is a Brazilian, a Gracie Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt. Um, he's quite heavily involved in sort of the whole applied violence world. Uh, you may notice that he has a bit of a strange accent. That's because he's from Cape Town. Um, so, James, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, and uh, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. And just before we go any further, I need to uh, just point that th- only 13 years in Cape Town and prior to that, many years in the UK. That's the, <laughs> weird, uh, the r- truly weird accident. Uh, accent, not accident. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> and so it begins. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Um, I've known James for a good few years now. I first met James when he brought uh, Craig Douglas Southnock out for the, his first ECQC here. Um, subsequently, I've trained with James uh, and Craig twice. So James trained with James in his private capacity a couple of times, um, and we're really excited to sort of chat to him about his his sort of take on things. So uh, I think uh, let's start with. Sort of the the obvious question: How how did you end up here? Not on the show because that's just poor choices. But uh, how did you how did you end up in the whole you know the the jitsu thing? What was the the path to that? Um, okay, so obviously you know I think I, you know it started back in a long time ago uh, doing karate as a kid, and then sort of just progressing through the different martial arts. Um, Japanese jiu-jitsu and uh, whilst doing Japanese jiu-jitsu heard about this guy and this is the same story as you know many people around the world heard, heard about this guy called Hoist Gracie and this family called the Gracie family um, and actually a friend and I decided to go to the US to find out what this Gracie jiu-jitsu thing was all about and at the time really we didn't think it was all that much different to the Japanese jiu-jitsu that we were training at the time uh, so we went for a, uh, a two week holiday in the U S and we decided to, we actually were going to go to Hickson's Hicks and Gracie's Academy, but he wasn't around at the time. So we contacted the Gracie Academy, I literally asked if there was a Gracie of, you know, that would be training there. And, um, and they were like, yeah, no problem. So we went along and literally got our backsides whooped really badly um at the age of kind of 30 i guess 30 uh having a 14 year old kid submit you multiple times within six minutes was a horrific experience for someone who thought that actually he could defend himself you know um and thought that these years and years of japanese jiu-jitsu and karate were were something to count for so to speak and i guess they were but at that point in time we became very serious about this is actually what we need to learn um and I think the theory, uh, the, or the, the, the thing at the time for me that got me most, and I didn't realize then, but I do realize more and more now, is that the martial arts that I was doing at the time are what I now call theoretical martial arts, whereas Gracie Jiu-Jitsu was actually, or Brazilian, you know, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu then, now Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, was, was a, you know, was a fighting style that had been tested where someone is trying to punch you, actually punch you in the face. Uh, or at the time punch the graces in the face. So yeah, it was, it was, it was proven. It was, you know, there was punched in the face and, and away we go. So 
literally just went back and forth to the US, carried on training the the, the Japanese jiu-jitsu, um, back and forth to the US literally two two times a year, two weeks at a time, and then got to point and said, uh, uh, my friend and I said, you know, it would be, actually he came out to Cape Town on a, um, on a, a holiday, literally just a kind of pure vacation type thing. And he phoned me from the top of Table Mountain. I was working for Philips Electronics at the time. And he was like, James, this is the most amazing place in the world. We should come here and open an academy. And uh, my reply was, yeah, okay, good idea. And that's exactly what, that's exactly what we did. We packed up and, and came out to Cape Town and opened an academy. So I have a question on that. Mm. Was there alcohol involved in that, in that discussion? Or was it like you were like completely sober and went, that's a great idea? Well, so actually it was, it was, there was no alcohol. It was pure, absolute naivety. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> Takes um, out. Yeah, you know, and I guess the two go hand in hand, maybe to some extent, alcohol and naivety. But um, yeah, we, you know, we really didn't know what we were getting into, to be truly honest. We knew that crime in South Africa was very high and we kind of went, we're teaching self-defense. Crime at a high level. What a good idea. We've got a market there. Um, An ever-expanding market. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um and I, you know, and, I, and I've got to be honest, friends of mine have, have said, you know, oh, you know, the whole, it's terrible in South Africa. And I'm like, well, you know, it's not so bad. And, uh, and, and, you know, they say, would you go back to the UK or would you go to Europe? And I'm like, well, if I went to the UK or Europe, what would I do for a living? My living revolves around teaching people how to defend themselves, teaching security and police and all that kind of thing. And if I went to the UK, I'd be teaching the police how to say stop and then say stop again. And then say stop and maybe say stop again. If you don't stop now, you're going to get a bloody good Roderick. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. With, with my, with my tomper or whatever. <laughs> so my function. Um, so yeah, it wouldn't work for me being back in the UK simply wouldn't work. Um, and I, I, I do what I do because of the, the situation we have here. So, and I have a firm belief that, you know, I, um, if you take responsibility for your own safety, then it's a better place than if you try and re- lean on other people for your safety and your security. Absolutely. So what year was this that you decided to move to Cape Town? 2007. So 13 years ago. And uh, friends in the UK now say that I have a South African accent, which <laughs> concerns me greatly. <laughs> South Africans um, say they're lying. Yeah. <laughs> yes, no. yeah. That one. <laughs> I have heard you speak Afrikaans, though. I know, but I only swear in Afrikaans. I can't, like, the, my, I, well, actually, no, that's not true. I can say, I, I can say, communicate and shoot and move. <laughs> <laughs> and I can swear. It's <laughs> all you really need. Yeah, good, well-rounded package. <laughs> Everything you need in the uh, in the applied violence world. But well, and I've got an I've got an Okapi as well, so you know that surely does make me South African. Well, it definitely makes you Capetonian. It sounds about right. Where is your gym? Uh, Table View. So we've got um, I've got an academy in Table View uh, from the Gracie Jiu Jitsu side of things, and then from the Street Smart side of things. Um, I, I pretty much just travel, as you guys know, I travel all over the country, 
on a on a very very regular basis. It gets tiresome. There's no doubt about that. Um, but yeah, all over the country. And uh, let let's sort of maybe unpack for our listeners what is the difference between jujitsu and and the street smart curriculum. Uh, good question. So I, I think a good way to answer that would be to to look back at how or the sort of evolution of how street smart came around, I think really. Um, so, you know, when I got to the, this country, I had done, I'd done some secure, some, some basically working, working as a doorman in South Africa, in uh, the UK, in Cardiff of all places, actually right by the millennium stadium. Um, so I had some very entertaining times with that side of things. Yeah. How is anyone menacing with a Welsh accent? Well, when you add, well, when you add a, a very, very tight T-shirt <laughs> and a lot of steroids and a mohawk, then you, you, you kind of get menacing out of a Welsh accent. And also, obviously, <laughs> if they've got Velcro knee pads and wide top wellies, then, you know, you know it becomes menacing. Then. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm going to get hate mail already from my, from my, my friends in Wales. Um, <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, so doing jujitsu, and I think, you know, I realized for me, I realized that, uh, I got to a point where I realized that jujitsu was an excellent solution for what I call a social violent situation. So, um, Tarek's in a pub and having a few beers and he spills another guy's beer and there's a, a an ego based altercation where the other guy says, you spill my beer and Tarek says, yeah, I know, but you know, you're a puss anyway. And Am I allowed to say that? Um, you can say that. Uh, watch your fucking just, language, please. <laughs> For fuck's sake, James. <laughs> fucking England is coming out. <laughs> um, so, um, so, yeah, for that ego-based environment, jiu-jitsu is great because it's very within, you know, it's very easy to justify. It's non-lethal. It's not going to cause any damage to anyone. Um, you know, I've chugged a guy out and he said he was going to, uh, before now, and he said he was going to sue me for you know, for GBH. And I was like, well, show me any damage. And he's like, well, no, there isn't any. And I said, well, that's the point. Um, you slept. There was, you know, it was, that was about as unpleasant as it got for you. So, um, you know, I realized it was very good for that situation, but I realized that jujitsu wasn't very good for their criminal based environment where there was multiple, multiple attackers or knife or, you know, other weapons involved. And obviously, you know, the argument would be, well, if you end up on the ground, you've got to have jujitsu, right? No matter whether it's a criminal based environment or ego based environment, you've got to have it. But, um, the way in a criminal based environment, the place to, to not end up is obviously on the ground. And the, and the, the objective is, is very much to escape and be at home having a cup of coffee rather than being engaged in a fight. So I then started looking for solutions and I, I was very fortunate to uh, to meet a, who's a good friend who had, a guy who trained with Dennis Martin and Lee Morrison and um, Kelly McCann and a lot of those guys and had spent a lot of time in the combatives world. So he introduced me to that side, of, that combative side of things, introduced me to shooting, um, knife work, all that kind of thing. So I spent a long time training with him and that's really kind of how Street Smart came around uh, as, a, as an alternative solution to to Gracie Jiu-Jitsu when the environment is different from a Gracie Jiu-Jitsu solution. So how much, this might be a dumb question, but how much crossover is there? Would you suggest that your students do regular Jiu-Jitsu? So like 
two or three times a week. And then occasionally does street smart to sort of augment their training or would you say that people should focus more on one or the other? And it might be a dumb question. You can just tell me. To no, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you to fuck off anyway, right? But it's not a dumb question. <laughs> um, no, absolutely not a dumb question. Um, so jujitsu, you know, let's, to, to sort of get into the, the gross motor, uh, fine motor, blah, blah, blah. Right. Jujitsu is a complex motor function. In other words, it requires a sequence of steps. Whereas combatives is gross motor. It's, it's caveman. It, it's, and the idea of combatives with when, you know, Fairben and Sykes were coming up with the whole thing was that it's very simple to learn. It's going to cause more harm to the opponent than it is to you and that it's gross motor. So generally what I say is to my students is focus on, on jujitsu have that as your solution because the other side of it is that from the point of view of likelihood of, of you know you myself let's not put Tarek in this because you know he has a different likelihood of getting involved in incidents than maybe you or i do so you know you or i are not likely to get involved in a in a criminal interaction experience as much as we are more likely to get involved in an ego-based environment Whereas Tarek's more likely to get involved in every conceivable environment that, <laughs> is, <laughs> that is possible. <laughs> um, so for Tarek, I would say do jujitsu, do boxing, do street smart, do everything that you possibly can. Um, for most people, I say learn jujitsu because it's more likely that you'll need that than anything else. And then do, do the street smart side of things, get proficient at it. And obviously if someone enjoys it, because the other side of combatives is that it does require a slight amount of is unhingement a right? Is that a correct word? That's not a real word, is it? It's a word now. You've said it. Yeah, okay. They're it's all fine. made up. So uh, yeah. right. give us so we'll, give us half an hour. Check Urban Dictionary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's call it unhingement. To do combatives effectively, you've got to be slightly unhinged, right? There's got to be something just slightly wrong with your brain to actually be able to do combatives the way it should be done. So for, for, for it, combatives isn't for everyone it's because some people just can't pull it off. You know, I think Kelly McCann was the one who said martial arts is the, something that you do with someone and combatives is, you, is something you do to someone. Um, and it requires a little bit of unhingement to do, to train combatives because you're having it done to you and it's an unpleasant experience. Um, so yeah, generally I say do jujitsu. It will solve most of the problems that you're likely to come up against. Maybe do some, you know, do shooting, become proficient at that, um, and leave combatives for something that you do as that last resort. And if you, you are a little bit unhinged and you enjoy being hit in the head, um, then great. Then take it up and, and become more, you know, more avid about it. Do it as a profession like I do. I hear Terry. Derek That's loves getting cool. punched in the head. Gorn's too scared to come spar with me. So, <laughs> well, and there's nothing quite like being punched in the face, right? What Mike Tyson exactly. is fighting on the on the 29th, which I'm oh, super yeah. excited about. And I, I, um, that fight is going to be amazing. It's going to be, <laughs> and I, you know the thing the thing that I and I I talk to students about this. The thing that I love Mike Tyson for more than the fact that he was an amazing boxer. Okay, guys. What is Mike Tyson most famous for? Fighting years off. Fighting years off. Yes. And he only did that once. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
because he only needed to do it. Right? <laughs> Corn, it's like the record button, dude. Yes, yes you only need to do it once. You do it once and never, you never live it down. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but the, the great thing about Mike Tyson in that fight is that he knew he was losing to Evander Holyfield. There was no doubt about it. Hmm. And and after the after the fight, he you know they. The interviewer said to him, why did you buy Evander Holyfield's ear off? And he was like, I wasn't prepared to lose. I would rather be disqualified than lose the fight. And as far as I'm concerned, in a street fight situation, that's an amazing mindset. Do whatever it takes. It doesn't matter what it takes. Do it. You know, and if that requires you to bite someone's ear off or, and I've had some people talk about, and I think I saw a thread recently about how biting is not effective. And I would agree that it shouldn't be part of your primary uh, toolkit when you're talking about self-defense, but I've had a guy, I was literally, I promise I was, I was in on, I was on the mount on a guy, right. And I'm, I'm assuming that we all know what the mount is. Um, just like not, a prison sex know, thing. Sorry, James. Just confirm. Yes. No, I was going to say, oh. let's, let's clarify that it's not something yeah. related to, you know, anything that we would talk about offline. So, um, I was on the mount on this guy. <laughs> He was not going anywhere. I said to him, listen, if you don't get out right now, you're, this is it. It's failing. I'm going to sit up. I'm going to, I'm going to start punching you in the face. And he bit me and he bit my chest and he bit me so hard that he drew blood. I promise you, I've never got off of the mountain so quickly in all of my life. It was just the most unpleasant experience that I've probably ever had. I think Corneille can kind of feel you there no, uh, Jacques into biting. Jacques doesn't. Jacques doesn't draw blood. Jacques just does little nub, like love nibbles. <laughs> like, oh, does, Jacques, does Jacques bite? Only he me. Only me, apparently. Uh, <laughs> um, apparently, so I enjoy nibbles. Cornet started training much. with Jacques recently, so he 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 started um, doing some of that uh, that sort of struggle snuggling you do and standing up and fighting like a man as well. Um, nice. Early Excellent. days. Well done, Connor. Thank you. We should say thanks to T and his wife. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Tarek, Tarek was like, well, you need to come and box. I want to punch you in the face. And Leanne was like, you, you need to come to and say, which means you have to say thanks to James because James got Lee doing, joining the jujitsu. The jujitsu. Okay. So, so, yeah. so a, this, you can't take cult. There's a, no, there's there's a, a cult. lineage there. <laughs> there's no doubt there's a cult. It's a cult. <laughs> so yeah, Terry wants to punch me in the face. Leanne wants to choke me out. Uh, so then that, there was that a, sounds like a normal Saturday night, though. <laughs> I'm from Heidelberg. That is a normal Saturday night. <laughs> Jacques once told us that when he was trying to find a proper place to go and box when he was younger, there was just no good places around. And I told him, well, you should have come to Heidelberg. Friday night, local club, everyone's a boxer. No one has technique, but everyone's a boxer. <laughs> Wild haymakers all night long. Yeah. <laughs> if you're lucky, you're only getting hit with fists. <laughs> we'll just year. leave the pause there, right? <laughs> we'll just leave the pause there. <laughs> Not that <laughs> <laughs> So that makes sense. So, so the, I, I like the definition of uh, martial arts, something you do with someone and uh, combatants, what you do to them. I think that, that, really um, should break it down for most people what the, mm. what the real difference is. So tell us a little bit about your shooting because you said that uh, 
as you're starting to do the the combatives thing, you you started getting into a little bit of shooting, you started getting into some some edge weapon work, and I'm curious. Um, yeah, so I get so you know literally the 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 guy that I started training with was he was like you know dude, do you want to come to the range sometime? I was like yeah, cool. You know I I um I shot shotgun as a kid and I did a bit of pistol shooting and. Uh, I had uh, some some very nice experience with uh, what in the in the UK we called the SLR, which was the 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 um, R1 right here. Yeah. Um, so I did I'd done a bit of that, and he was like, "Hey, come to range with me." Um, and yeah, very quickly I was like, "Actually, I really dig this." It it was pretty much with the first bang. I thought to myself, "I really dig this." Um, <laughs> And, um, you know, in the UK, uh, everything had been banned. Everything's banned in the UK every, anyway, right? It, like literally everything is banned. Butter knives. Um, so yes, butter knives are illegal on the street. I actually did get, I got stopped at Heathrow Airport. Should I say this online? It probably doesn't matter. I got stopped <laughs> about four years ago at Heathrow Airport. And it was actually the day that I got engaged, actually. And we were leaving Heathrow. I'm digressing for a second. Here. I hope that's okay. Um, we were leaving the UK to go to Amsterdam. So we'd flown from South Africa into the UK and we were flying out of South Africa, out of the UK to go to Amsterdam. And um, we'd got engaged that day and my fiance had gone through the, uh, the, the checkpoint quite a lot before me because I was actually on the phone um, at the time. And as she went through the the security, she was showing all the girls her, uh, all the security staff her, her her engagement ring, and she was like, "Oh, we just got engaged. It's amazing. I'm so happy." Blah blah blah. She went off shopping. I came through the security, and I got stopped. And you know that kind. Of, I don't know whether you guys know what that feeling's like, but especially in the mm-hmm. UK airport security, I was like, "Oh no, what what now?" And they just scanned my hand luggage bag. And, um, so the, so the bag came through and the security person was like, listen, um, you can't go anywhere. We're calling the police. I was like, what? She said, no, we're, we're calling. I was like, well, why would you be calling the police? Is, you know, I'm just a normal human being that should be able to pick up his bag and walk away from this scanning machine. And, um, the police turned up and they opened up the bag. They went to the security and then the police came back to me and said, sir, um, we believe that there's two knives in your, hand luggage and i was like no you no, that's ridiculous how can that possibly be the case i've flown from south africa and uh they opened my bag up and i had um uh the i had an what's called an socp dagger in there and i had a uh you know the night the the little the you know the little uh Coubertin pens i had one of those yeah. in there and i had another knife but i can't remember what it was and the police were like what are you doing? I said, well, first of all, don't worry about it. Cause I'm leaving. And, <laughs> <laughs> and second thing, you know, I, I flew from South Africa. What do you expect? Like, <laughs> what, you know, <laughs> and I said, uh, and then by the, so then I phoned my fiance. I was like, um, you need to just come back to security. There seems to be a problem. I don't think I'm going to, I might not be able to board the next flight. And she was like, what are you doing? Why? I mean, I mean, Wagamama's or whatever it was. And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. I can't come to you. You have to come to me. The police won't let me leave here. She's like, why? So she came along and she started telling them how I teach anti-poaching and, 
uh, it was my bag that I'd taken into the bush. And, no, and she, so she's showing him photos of anti-poaching and stuff. Uh, like, and the, 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 the policeman turns around and he says, um, okay, well, you're from South Africa. So, you know, the knives are legal. We're, we're just going to confiscate the knives and let you go. And I said, oh, okay, great, great. Can we see your passport? And I said, yeah, no problem. And I gave my passport and they're like, Mr. Smart, this is a UK passport. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, I know. And they're like, no, 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 but you don't understand. Being a UK citizen, you have to abide by the rules of the UK and knives are illegal in the UK. And that makes what you've done break. And I was like, no, 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 but you don't understand. I've been in South Africa for like 10 years now. And it, and actually it was really cool because they were quite reasonable about it, understanding that I was leaving. And um, they, they wrote, a, they kind of put a warning thing and gave me a little chit and said, stop or we'll say stop again. Um, and confiscated the knife. <laughs> <laughs> so that, I think we got onto that because of the they ban everything in the UK. So yeah, so pistols had been banned when I was I think they were banned when I was about like 14 or something. So there was no chance to have ever shot a pistol. Um so yeah, so my friend took me to the to the range and we we just literally started shooting and I and I thought it was awesome. So a couple of years later, um bought my first pistol and and away we went from there. And as I think I told Derek at the weekend, shot my first competition competition on Saturday. So there's progress, right? There's not, I'm not just that guy who goes to the range and shoots the, the cardboard target and then leaves again. I've now progressed to competition. I have two yeah. questions. Yes. And I think the, the, the first one Derek is about to ask, yeah. have you been killed on the street yet? <laughs> so you shot on Saturday, did on Monday, did you get murdered? Because you've now got that competition thing in you and you can't actually function in the real world where, where people are trying to kill you. In the, you know, so one of my pet hates, I've got, the, I've, got a, I've got two pet hate, two pet phrases that I hate. The real world and bad guys. <laughs> Have you been killed in the real world with the bad guys in the real world kill you? <laughs> <laughs> I have not, to the best of my knowledge at this time, been killed by the bad guys in the real world. No, no. Well, that's that's impossible. Because you shot competition and competition <laughs> shooters have, you know, they just have automatically no, die. They can't do the real world. Now, <laughs> I, you know, I've, there's, there's been a lot of thought processing that has gone on since Saturday, I have to be honest. Um, uh, yeah, no, it's a very interesting experience. What was your second question, Connie? <laughs> Well, I, I knew what the answer to the first one was going to be. So the second question is, since you didn't get killed on the streets on Monday, are you sure you did it correctly? Well, what, shot the competition? Yes. Right? No, actually, I didn't shoot the competition because that would have been illegal, right? That's a good idea. But note, we've got nationals in a few weeks. Kaz, write that down. Don't, don't shoot <laughs> the competition. That is how uh, you win. <laughs> you reduce the size well, of the by field. Being, <laughs> by being the last man you, standing. Yeah. <laughs> can shoot at the competition. So I assume that you started shooting Ipsic and not the, the jacketed sport. So, okay. So the, the truth is that the reason why I shot the competition is because I, <laughs> um, I want to, wanted to be able to go and shoot at the local club down the road from me because it's much closer 
than the next alternative. And um, they were like, well, come and shoot on Saturday. And then, you know, assuming that we regard you as being safe, um, you can, you know, you will then be able to be a member and go and shoot at the, at the range with another member. Um, so that's actually why I did it. It wasn't motivated by wanting to shoot competition. Um, that said, I did. So here's the tell. Here's the tell. I did start saving the doppies after the second, because I realized that I might end up reloading for the purposes of being, because up till now, I don't, I just go and buy my ammo. Right. And then I realized that, wow, this bill is going up at a great rate of knots if I'm going to do this more often. So, and I can see that I might. And in fact, I'd been offered a reloading kit almost by the third, the, the third stage. Um, I'd like, so, to, yeah, I'd like I, to welcome you to our cult. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> reloading. So punched in the face. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. There's, there's no punching in the face in this one. Uh, <laughs> and, and for the record, if I worked out the scores correctly, I think James shot a 69% in production in his first match. The fucking oh, solid finish. And I mean, there was some heat at that match. Um, the Van der were there. There was, there, was some, there was some heat. There was um, some good guy. Yeah, I was in. I, there were some guys I was like, what is going on right now? I mean, Tion was there. No, I mean, there was some serious heat. It was a solid result. We should get you up here to shoot with Garrett. Because wow. if, if you're going what's down there, you should see that. Oh, really? Yeah, he's an animal. He doesn't look like it. He looks very sophisticated, drinking his coffee and his <laughs> cute smile. And But he's an animal. He shoots the opposite to how he talks. In that he shoots... <laughs> <laughs> Austin, often. <laughs> yes. So, yes. Uh, do you foresee more matches in your future, James? Yes, I yes, I'm definitely going to go for dedicated sportsman uh, status, and I do see more matches in the future. Yeah, and I did. Yeah, I did enjoy it. Um, uh, and and I found, and I think the thing that was most compelling for me it was so. Don't get offended by this, guys. Right, but I did. So there was there was guys unloading their vehicles, and and they've got like trolleys with wheelie things and. And I was like, man, this looks like a golf match for people that don't want to walk. <laughs> if, if we could get away with golf carts? You probably would. Yep. Yeah. No, no, no. There's no probably in there. You would own golf carts. So, but I, I think what I found most compelling to want to do it again is that there was one stage that I just, I felt, that I just shot great. Everything was great. Um, I was seeing the front side. I was feeling the trigger reset, like everything just, the fundamentals just worked beautifully. And then there was other stages where it was kind of so-so. And then there was one stage that I just rushed and it was just ridiculous. So my the competitive part of me with my own competitiveness was to be able to get that where that feeling of I just shot great but you know, on every stage kind of thing, um, uh, which probably never happens, but that's why you I, keep doing it. Right. I was, I was going to say, do you want, do you want the bad news now? Uh, <laughs> no, hide me from bad news. Don't tell me bad news. <laughs> oh, it, it, it's always, <laughs> you know, the thing with matches is that they're a bit like sparring or rolling. Um, you know, you, you could, you can drill all the stuff as much as you want, but there's, there's nothing like that. You know, like you've got one chance to shoot that stage. 
there's yep. no, no one cares if you had a headache or you made a mistake or you get one shot uh, and the result is what the result is. And that's, you know, it's kind of to go back to Mike Tyson, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Uh, you know, you, you kind of go, what? <laughs> we, we saw it. We, we, we had a, a dude shoot his first match with us two weeks ago. And, yep. uh, you know, proficient shooter. He's done some training. He's quite serious about it. He's a solid shooter. Shot his first stage and walked off the stage and he was buzzing. Like he was fucking, and it was like, this is, and, 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 and it's just, you, there's, there's nothing in shooting like that, or, or there's very little yeah. in shooting like that. And that's why I say it's, it's kind of like sparring. It's kind of like that, that punch in the face where you go, oh, that wasn't nice, but I could do that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but I want to do it again because I want to yeah. be better. And yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's our particular good. unhingement. Yes. And the good news is that buzz never goes away. Mm. Never. In fact, it gets worse as you, as you start um, being better. I think you create expectation in your head and that, uh, that amplifies some of that, that funny feeling. Yeah. yeah. That's when you have to start managing the buzz. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, is it, does it never go away because of your own expectation of your own performance, so to speak? Um, that's probably only part of it. Um, I think if you start taking it seriously, I think just the, not necessarily your own expectation, but the, the drive to be better and the drive to be the best if possible. Mm. I think is what keeps that coming back. I think what makes it a little bit unmanageable for some people where they get the shakes is where they have expectation of how they will perform as opposed to performing wherever they are and then uh, trying to get better from there. Also, um, it's a fuck ton of fun. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a big adrenaline sort of burst. And, and I think sort of to maybe use an analogy that's kind of closer to home for you. It's a little bit like, like something like jujitsu in that you could, especially with Epstick, you could never shoot a perfect stage. Mm. No matter how good you are, you could, you could be Eric Raffel, Um, And there's something, you could have been a little bit faster. You, you could have, you could have somehow, and, and there's, a, there's an appeal to that. It's not just, okay, well, I shot 100 out of 100 or whatever. It's, well, I, I could have done this. And I could have, you know, this could have been a little bit quicker. This could have been a little, and, and it's that, is, you know, if you've got that urge to master, which you've obviously got to get a black belt in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu, um, that's one of the appealing things about it because you, you're constantly, you know, Gaz is, and it's hard to believe looking at him with that Arambi face, probably the best ironside pistol shooter in the country. Um, but he's constantly working to get better. Um, right. One day he'll stop sucking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think the other side to that, James, is... Um, at some point, you're going to figure out that shooting is just a little portion of this. It's a shooting sport, but most people don't fail, or a lot of people don't fail on their shooting skill. They fail on their ability to plan or their ability to execute or their ability to move. Um, there's, there's so many other things that, that play into actually performing well that uh, keeps it interesting. You can't outmove shitty shooting. No, you can't outmove yeah, no, shitty true. shooting. Absolutely. And you can't outplan shitty shooting. No, you can't. No, 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 I'm saying that there are a lot of people Wait. who are good technical mm. shooters, but that don't do well in the sport because they lack the other portions. You have to be able good to news. shoot, though. Otherwise, you'll be nowhere. Well, the good news is you can outshoot shitty shooting. I've seen people try. <laughs> <laughs> 
James is never signing up for another match again. <laughs> when when dudes now, are James, shooting, what what we're going to do is we're going to teach you how hit factor scoring works. Get a pen and a piece of paper and a calculator. <laughs> I can already see James heading towards that disconnect button. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Leave about it. <laughs> and someone did explain, tried to explain. It was Aaron. I think you guys know Aaron. Uh, oh yeah. I don't know. He's, uh, oh yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, Aaron was trying. To, he was explaining to me like uh, and. If you do it in this time and then you score this, then this much gets deducted off of your time. And I was like, okay, Aaron, listen, just stop already. And <laughs> um, I'm just going to shoot this and see how we get on kind of thing. You know? There we go. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was complex. Competition shooting, uh, practical dynamic shooting boils down to shoot faster and miss less. Uh, yeah. And a friend yeah. of mine who do, who, who's, who's very... Um, I, you know, I've been fortunate to meet some very interesting people over the years of being in South Africa. And one of my friends who's done a lot of shooting, um, you know, he actually, he was saying that a, a lot of people who work in the real world against bad guys would prefer to have someone who is a competition shooter because they can shoot fast and they can shoot straight rather than having a guy that has done all of the tactical wada 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 in the world, but can't shoot fast and can't shoot straight. Um, and I, you know, that was one of the things that actually I thought to myself, you can go to the range, you know, as a, as a normal person, you go to the range, you set up your targets, you do a whole bunch of drills and you can watch videos, you know, YouTube all day long to get these, these great ideas for doing drills, but nothing has ever pushed me uh, or, or got me to push myself the way that competition did at the weekend. And nothing has exposed my my weaknesses, um, and actually, nothing has has really made me see what I should be doing properly. Because that that point in time where it was really all working well, I'd never experienced that before. I'd never experienced it all working so nicely. And I actually, thought to myself, well, if I now go to the range and I try and replicate that, I've got a benchmark to work from, whereas I never had that before. So I think that competition. And I did competition jujitsu, you know, does that mean, and this is another part of what I was thinking about. Um, I've done MMA, I've done professional MMA. Does that mean I can't fight in the street? N no, it, it doesn't. It means that I've sharpened attributes in that competition and that preparation for that do contribute and benefit towards actually being able to do what I need to do, you know, in a real world environment. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, and I can see how people, you know, can say, yeah, but if you're gaming it, blah, blah, blah. Well, don't game it then, you know, stay true to yourself. Uh, and, and that's me. I haven't done one competition, so I don't really know from that uh, point of view, but I yeah, yeah. no, James, James, <laughs> you game the fuck out of it. Because <laughs> <laughs> the fact is that it's going to make your weapon handling so much better than better. pretty much everyone else. Okay. Regardless if you game it or not, you're going to be able to shoot faster and more accurately than everyone else, whether you game it or not. If you don't game it, you're going to be second, if you're lucky. <laughs> right. You were no, going to see I, you in the, in the bright colored shoes and the bright colored jersey going, yay, gamers. Soon. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> I think to carry on with your MMA analogy, though, it, it's kind of like if you put me in the ring with you, I'm not going to beat you just because I tried to fish hook you or I gouge you. Um, and I think a lot of guys make that mistake. They think 
you know, they, they think the gaming is the big part of it. And, and, and it's a, uh, I've seen lots of guys with really clever plans get beaten by guys with much dumber plans who just shot better than them. Um, and mm-hmm. it's, it's the same as being in the ring. You know, it, it's at the end of the, the day, it's what you can execute on the time, uh, you know, at the time. Uh, and I think that the other thing with, and with, with you having, having a competition background, that there's something very real about a result where your name is in a position. And there's everyone looking at that score sheet isn't hearing your excuse about how your tampon came loose or, you know, you've got a, a mosquito in your eye or something. They're going, okay, that dude came 10th and I came fourth. I beat that. dude. That's, that's all they see. Uh, and I think that's, there's a, there's a, there's a bit of a purity about that. Um, and it's, and it's well, well, and I, and I think apart from the, the tampon came loose thing, does that actually happen? <laughs> the tampons come loose? Eric has it all the time. Well, well I recall yes. that for a moment. Not anyway. Um, <laughs> let me just let me just uh, get on the Google machine here quickly. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if you, also if you're doing a competition, whether it's an MMA competition or jujitsu or or a shooting competition, you are learning to manage adrenaline as well, the adrenal response. So you know, now does that directly translate? Go back to my bouncing days. Um, yeah, I worked on a, on a, on the door with a guy who had had however many fights and it, and he started doing jujitsu. In fact, I got into it because I was teaching a, these guys doing uh, jujitsu and he was like, oh yeah, I want to do competition. So I said, okay, cool. And I, and then I said to him, listen, I've got to tell you the adrenaline dump that you're going to get when you do competition is going to be extraordinary. No, no, no. I've had so many fights. Um, don't worry. I can handle competition, man. The guy managed to barely get off of the toilet that morning of the competition. Because the you know his his nerves and his adrenal response was so extreme, um, so so is it the same as being in a real world situation? No, it's not. But does it teach you to manage adrenaline and nerves and all that kind of thing? Yeah. And I say to students, you know, in fact, let me ask you guys. You probably know the answer to this. What is the worst part of a of a fight? And whether it's an MMA fight or a fight in the street or whatever, what is the worst part? But just point before. in time. Yes. Start. Right before it actually starts is the time that you are shitting yourself more than mm-hmm. any other. Because once it started, it started. Get on and deal with it, right? Yeah. And you, you know, you puppy brain, blah blah blah. That moment before, when when you hit self doubt, and am I going to get punched in the face, and am I going to get injured, and am I going to look like an idiot, or what, or what, or what? That's the worst part of the fight. So by learning to deal with that in competition. I think that it probably does apply across into, mm-hmm. and it gives you a sense of self-confidence as well. Certainly in MMA and jujitsu, you know, you're now facing a guy who's giving you shit and you go, well, listen, I'm just going to double leg you and then punch you in the face. It's not that difficult. I've done it a million times. I think, I think also with that, you know, if you're working the door in a club, you're standing talking shit, you, you know, you, 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 you probably haven't been in the fight for the last couple of days and something happens. Whereas if, like with your friend getting into his first fight, he knew the mm. night before that tomorrow I'm going to go fight in the ring. And when he woke up this morning, he knew that at two fifteen I had to be in the ring. Um, there's a there's a, a famous quote by Jim Cirillo, who was a, an NYPD stakeout squad cop in the seventies, who I think he shot double figures. Of he was in a lot of gunfights. He shot a lot of guys. And, wow. and he he famously said his most stressful. Um, the most stressful shooting thing he ever did was his first Bianchi Cup, um, which was a match. And it was, 
He was on a squad with a with a lot of big name shooters. There was Masayub, there was Ray Chapman, there were all these like big name people, and they were watching him, and they were watching to see if he fucked up um, or not. Uh, yeah. And you know, in his gunfights, there were people trying to kill him. He was trying to shoot them. He was too busy focusing, like, oh, bang, fuck, I'm in a gunfight. Let me get my front sight on and start shooting. It was exactly the same thing with the match. It's like, okay, now I'm going to step onto the stage. And then the, they're gonna, I'm gonna load up, and everyone's gonna watch me, and I'm gonna hear the buzzer, and we, and we know all, all stress is manufactured internally. Um, so yeah. it's, it's as a result of external stimulus, but it's all manufactured internally. So it's not the degree might be different, as you say, but, but the stress itself, the, the physical manifestation of James and I are gonna now spar a bit and punch each other in the face, and fuck, James is trying to kill me. Um, the physical manifestation is the same. The degree might be different, but it's not a different type of stress. There's not a, I'm going to die stress and oh, I'm going to get hurt stress. Uh, and I think that's, that translates nicely. So, yeah. So, and that's kind of interesting because, um, and I don't actually don't know the answer to that, but I would, there's a, I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard of Gavin DeBecker. Hmm. Um, and he, uh, when he so he pretty much runs one of the best close protection companies stroke courses in in you know in the world, and he actually when they're to as a sort of culmination of um, of their CP course that they do, they actually put the 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 bodyguards in a in a blacked out shed that's got a a, um, a large tunnel running to the shed, and then they put an attack dog in the in the tunnel to go and bite the guy that's in the shed. And the guy has no bite suit or anything of that sort on. And the reason why they do that is, is two reasons. Number one, so that the person, so that the bodyguard can experience true fear rather than a manufactured fear of, because at the end of the day, if you and I got in a ring or even if we were training or whatever, you know, we've got our fist helmets on, you know that I'm not going to kill you, right? It, it, somewhere deep in your brain knows that I'm not going to kill you. Well, maybe I would do. I don't know. I know like, you Let's do. leave that for another. <laughs> um, so, but, but it, so there's, there's, I, I think there's probably uh, uh, something in your brain that has a safety catch that says, okay, th this is not life and death, right? Um, and the reason why they put the guys in the bodyguard in the, in the shed is because we rationalize that a dog doesn't know to limit its degree of contact because it's a friendly situation. And the other reason why they put the bodyguards in the shed is because the way to deal with a dog attack is to move forwards at the dog once it's bitten, not to pull away from the dog because the dog bites harder when mm. they pull away from it. So to teach the bodyguards to, to deal with that stress of, of, a, of a real fear and to move forwards towards the fight. So, um, you know, I can see someone that maybe looks at competition and says, yeah, but it's not real fear. Hmm. of a life and death situation, um, which I would probably agree with. But, you know, the fact is that in the, in our day-to-day -day life, we can never be in a situation of experiencing real life and death fear unless we're actually there. So why not replicate it as close as we can? And I think competition is a good way of doing that. So I think one yeah, of the competition in everything, all disciplines, whether it's jiu-jitsu, MMA, or shooting is going to highlight some sort of flaw in what you could be doing more proficiently in that specific set of skills. Exactly. Mm, I think one, absolutely. Of the, one of the things that makes the, the, the competition side a little bit more adrenaline filled than the uh, I'm manning the door and I'm going to punch some dudes in the face 
is when you're punching dudes in the face or shooting at the range, not competing, um, you may be up against a world-class fighter, but you're probably not. Where when you're going to climb in the ring and compete, you're up against a fighter who is Mm -hmm. of equivalent skill or very close or perhaps beyond it. Same thing with shooting competitions. Guys who get into it think that they have shooting proficiency. And I know this because I was in the exact same place. You think you have shooting proficiency, uh, proficiency. You show up and you get destroyed by people who you, you, you would never imagine had that level of skill. So it's that same, it's not just wanting, not wanting to look bad. It's the being humbled in how little skill you potentially have. Um, so that reality sense. check, right? That reality check exactly. of actually, I'm not, a, I'm not as good as I thought I was. And for a lot of people, it takes being punched in the face to realize that. Mm. Yeah. In fact, there was a, a university in America that did a study, and I, I love quotes in this. They did a study on how much men overrate themselves in a fight situation, right? In a punch up. Um, so not, not how many men overrate themselves, but by how much do they overrate themselves? So how much do you think the men over the average man overrates himself in a, in a fight situation? It was ridiculous. I, I, I don't recall the exact number, but I seem to think it was up in the high eighties or low nineties. It was, it was massive. It was 89%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it was it was huge. I, you know, like I, I when when I started boxing, I thought I knew how to throw a punch. Um, and after four years of boxing, I'm far less confident in my ability to throw a punch than I was the day before I started. Because um, the day before I started, I thought, "Fuck, I know I'm a man. I know how to throw a punch." And now, after doing it for uh, a couple of years, I'm like, eh. I didn't have yep. a fucking clue. Uh, and, and now it's, well, maybe one day I'll actually learn how to throw a proper punch. Well, and, and you know, and I think the, the funny thing, and there's, there's a whole argument that can go around this, but um, the, if there's a downside to learning, uh, uh, you know, learning a, a fighting system, let's call it, or, and maybe competition as well, is do you end up with so much self-doubt because you realize that you can't, you know, the day before you go for your boxing, you're like, yeah, you know, I can, of course I can knock guys out. And then you go for your the first boxing lesson and you realize you can't actually, you wouldn't be able to fight the skin off of a rice pudding. And but, so now do you. <laughs> That's the most English thing you said all night. <laughs> um do you now end up with self-doubt that stops you from being able to defend yourself where if you had that confidence that you had prior, that you would have actually been able to do what was necessary? Um, and I don't know, maybe, you know, may, I, I'm happy with how I shot at the weekend. So, you know, I'm happy to go forward and say, I'm, you know, I think I'm probably okay, proficient enough to be able to deal with, you know, a, 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 a real situation. But had I shot really terrible, would I then end up putting my gun in the safe guy? Man, I, what am I doing? Why am I even carrying this thing? I can't shoot the side of a barn. So, you know, um, I suppose I, I, that, is there a double-edged sword there? I suppose there's, there's, a, there's a bit of a test of self-awareness there. Um, I, I think if you're, if you're that sort of person, there's probably, and, and I've seen this a fair amount of time with shooting, and I'm sure you've seen this a fair amount of time with the unarmed stuff, there's, there's probably more chance of you going, well, competition is stupid. So I, uh, I see okay. a lot more guys come out of that and go, I mean, I've, 
I've said it on the show before that, that the majority of instructors I know who are or, or shooters I know who are anti-competition, it's because they shot a match and they suck. And it's easier to go, that's not real. I'm not going to do that than it is to go, there's some, there's, and, I, and I think, I think there's probably more degree of self-awareness where you, you yeah. come out of that and you go, well, this boxing shit is bullshit. You know, despite the fact that, you know, grown men pound each other um, because I'm just going to fish hook him or, you know, knee him in the balls or, or whatever other imaginary thing people talk about. My wife's giving me weird looks for kneeing people in the balls. Um, I'm going to just wind up the sucker punch that he's never going to see coming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm like the fourth swing around. I'm just going to knock him clear across the room. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, I think I've seen more of that. I mean, I'm sure there's the people who come. And, and, and sometimes that self-awareness might not be a bad thing either. You know, maybe looking at this and going, like, maybe my, my, my skills aren't what I thought they were. It might stop you talking shit to Nokia bar. Um, you know, you, you might suddenly discover that if, if this dude decides to, to kind of put his money where his mouth is, I don't stand a chance. He's going to fuck mm. me up. Um, so there, there might be a value there as well. Mm. Yeah, true. And definitely within the martial arts world, I've seen a lot of the time, particularly when it comes to, to boxing and to Brazilian jiu-jitsu, um, where a traditional martial artist tries Brazilian jiu-jitsu and then ends up sticking their fingers in their ear and singing very loudly to pretend that actually Brazilian jiu-jitsu isn't really there because yeah. it would it would indicate to them that the last 25 years and their Sheehan and Desperate Dan and all that kind of thing didn't really count as much as they thought it was going to. Um, but in the same breath, there's, you know, there's also, I think, and we're sort of circling back to the, the value of competition. I think there's a lot of people that have fought in the, you know, EFC, KFC, whatever, whatever FC <laughs> that think they're a lot better than they would and be in a, in a fight situation. Yes. United FC. <laughs> and they're not, a, you know, they think they would be better in a fight, in a, in a fight, you know, a, a, a violent criminal interaction than they actually would work out because, you know, and again, going back to that. So in a social environment, do you, will your average MMA guy be able to look after himself? Yes. You know, Khabib can obviously look after himself in a bar. There's no doubt about that. But can they deal with three guys who are stabbing them in the back with a knife? Well, well, actually, can anyone? No, not really. So, you know, so, yeah, I think there's a there's a false sense of ability that can come with competition and can come with uh, not doing competition. It's that fine line, right? Hmm. Yeah, I think it, I think there's, there's a big part of understanding and, and and I know more about the shooting side of this than I do the, the sort of um, MMA side or the boxing side. There's a huge amount of crossover between competition shooting and defensive shooting, but there are things that are different and you need to understand mm -hmm. that the, those things that are different in order to be able to do both effectively. Um, and I don't think it's impossible to do both effectively, but you do need to understand where they're different. You know, in, in, in shooting... The consequence for shooting a no-shoot in my house and the consequence for shooting a no-shoot at a match, um, you know, I've won stages where I've shot a no-shoot. Um, if I shoot a no-shoot in my house, it means I've put a bullet in my wife. Uh, so I think it's important to kind of be, and, and I'm fairly sure um, there's a similar sort of crossover in the, you know, be it 
be it boxing, be it jiu-jitsu or whatever, that, you know, yes, this this is going to work in the ring, but understand the guy in the fight may just knee you in the balls and and the ref's not going to not going to stop the fight. Uh, yeah. There's so also you, the tapping out bit. Like, it saves you in the ring. Yeah. And it doesn't... Um, sorry, T-Bag. Hmm. Yeah, I think the tapping out thing more is more of a danger from the point of view of not the person who's tapping out, but the person who is doing the submission. So as an example, there's a tendency, I'll give you the example, when you're choking someone unconscious, there's a tendency to let go um, because they tap or because they, you know, they say let go or say stop or whatever, because we condition ourselves in the sporting or the, you know, the, the class environment to let go immediately. Whereas actually to, to make it effective, you kind of got to hold it on for a moment or two longer, even though it feels uncomfortable. And in a, you know, in a street environment, the people around you are going to be screaming, you've killed him, right? There's, I've, hmm. I've had that before. Ah, you've killed him. What are you doing? You've killed this guy. You've got to actually be, be confident that you haven't and that you just need to hang in there for a moment or two. I didn't kill him. He's snoring. You can hear him. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a really good point, though. And I think that's uh, I think that's something people sometimes, you know, most most people uh, will probably never really spend a lot of time dealing with violence in their life, um, and the vast majority of people will never really deal with with sort of real violence. Um, yeah. You know, there's. And, and it's something I bring up in class all the time, and I think you bring up the same sort of thing. Um, you, your opponent is, has a lot more experience with violence than you, you have. Uh, yeah. he, he, and it's generally a he, um, has, has very likely grown up in an environment where, where violence is how you got things. Um, he's probably got more experience, you know, sort of <laughs> subjecting people to violence and also experiencing uh, yeah. and and and. Us and I think probably most of our listeners are, are, are sort of nice suburban people um, who get upset if if Seattle gets a coffee order wrong. Um, and I think that's, I mean, I know you're from Cape Town, James, and I know that's a serious issue. Uh, I can't believe you just said that. I can't believe that you said the Seattle would get a coffee order wrong. <laughs> I'd like to apologize to the Seattle coffee shop. Not, not after the last time James had a talk with that barista. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the one in table view. Um, yeah, think, no, absolutely. And I think that's, I think one of the advantages we get out of, especially on sort of the, the, the combatives of martial arts side and I, I try and avoid the term martial arts because sometimes it means funny things. Um, but I think the, the, the one advantage to that is you get a little bit of experience hurting your friend um, and, and not in a malicious way, you know, unless you're in some sort of like very peculiar gym. Um, but I mean, I've broken Gaz's nose, uh, not on purpose. Because he um, broke your toe. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. But, but you get that. I think it, it, it does help you. It's not the same as trying to crack someone's skull open on a pavement. Um, but I think it does at least let you kind of scratch the surface of that. I don't know what you No, I, yeah, I think that, um, I, and I talk about likelihood a lot of the time that, you know, the likelihood of your average, um, you know, 
Santon or or um, whatever um, the Sunset Beach person experiencing you know true criminal violence is very very unlikely. And and also I talk to people about investment. You know, if you're investing your time in protecting yourself, make it your or, or in your security or in your lifestyle, make it make it an investment that's worth doing. That's something that's likely to pay off. Um, and so if you're, you know, and, and that sort of comes back to the shooting thing, why not do some competition? Because if you're going to put that much time into being a good shooter to defend yourself, get some benefit out of that time by having some enjoyment from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, yes, I definitely agree that your average um, criminal or person that, w- that, you know, that is going to be doing the attacking has far more motivation, has far more um, a, a completely different moral code than we would have. Um, and I'll give you an example. When I teach security, you know, let's say I get a, a and literally every, you know, uh, let's, let's sort of put some numbers on it. I teach probably about a thousand security officers a year, right? Um, and out of every class of 20, I start the class off by saying to them, how many of you have been shot or stabbed? And how many of you have shot or stabbed someone else? And out of a class of 20, I normally get about five or six, probably maybe seven that have been stabbed. Um, I get three or four that have, well, have been shot or shot someone else. I get one or two that have stabbed someone else. And a few years ago, interestingly, I was in America doing a GST, a Gracie Survival Tactics um, course at the academy there. And I actually said to the police officers, there was about 70 police officers, and I said, how many of you guys have, and they're all instructors, how many guys have you conducted classes and asked your students, you know, who's been shot before, who's been stabbed for us? They all looked at me like, what are you talking about? Why would any of our guys have been shot or stabbed? I was like, well, you know, a, a large twenty-five percent of my students have been shot or stabbed. Um, so, uh, you know, there's a, in South Africa, we have a lot of people that have experienced that kind of level of violence, and that means that there's a very high number of people that are per, um, perpetuating or or inflicting that level of violence. Um, so, and I think we're we're largely. Uh, generally, people are largely unprepared and cannot be prepared to be able to deal with that level of violence either. But but certainly, training can can go some way towards that. I think there needs to be a a mind preparation involved, though. You've got to sit and think through. If I'm faced with a guy who's trying to stab me, am I actually going to be able to step up and do this? Um, use a knife and my my pet. You know, my my pet hate is the knife situation. Now I'm going to carry a fixed blade. Great. What are you going to do with that fixed blade? Yo, well, if someone's attacking me, I'll stab them with it. Yeah. Okay. You'd be so close to someone that you can smell their breath and then decide to put a knife into them. Let me see. Let's see whether you can actually go through that process of bringing yourself to be able to do that. And I think there's a lot of people that are probably carrying a knife that actually couldn't do it if they were if they needed to. Yeah, that that's an important point because the the criminal in, in this scenario already knows how far he is willing to go, and he has picked you, knowing how far he is willing to go. Where you're like a deer in the headlights, going, "Well, I have to defend myself, but I don't want to do too much damage or feel bad." He's another person, or like that that um, sympathetic thing that we do. 
or even more realistically for most untrained people, why is he, why is he attacking me? Mm. And this can't be happening. Yep. Yeah. Very common. Yep. Yep. Absolute denial, right? Absolute denial. Yeah. It's, it's not happening to me. It can't be. Yeah. And, uh, and attacks are ambush attacks, you know, out of the guys that I, that, that I've spoken to that have been stabbed, which is a lot of them. And I say to them, where, you know, where have you stabbed? And I'll tell you, 80% of them have been stabbed in the back, upper back area. Mm. That they're, they're always ambushes. So, you know, your average person is walking down the road and all of a sudden starts getting stabbed in their upper back. Really? Have you, have you done any mental preparation to be able to deal with that? And I think that's the, the the mental preparation thing. I think is is what's lacking in, in in a lot of people's sort of toolbox. They've got the gear, you know. They we we I, I won't leave the house without my, you know, Glock seventeen with RMR and X three hundred and four spare mags and three knives. And I've got my ankle med kit and a tin of pepper spray. And I've got all of this sort of shit. Um, and I've never thought about what am I going to do someone walks up and punches me in the nose or stabs me in the back or shoots me, um, doesn't yep. ask me for anything, doesn't do anything. I know I'm in a fight because a bullet dug into me. Uh, and, and I think that's, it's unfortunate. Um, but, well, it's unfortunate that we have to chat about this as opposed to, you know, mm. sort of the, 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 the joy of doing jiu-jitsu for you weirdos who enjoy jiu-jitsu for the joy of it. Um, or, you know, the joy of shooting for the fun of it. or whatever. Mm. But I think there's a lot of guys who need to think a little bit um, about things beyond gear because, yeah, some dude with a rusty Narinko 213 or an Okapi um, may just end up taking you out no matter how much, you know, no matter the, the, the fact that you've got 100 grams worth of Gucci gear uh, strapped mm. about your person. Have you ever looked at well, people with, with 100 grams worth of Gucci gear on them and looked at them and went... You couldn't physically access any of that stuff in a fight. It looks cool, but you could not actually get to any of it if you were being attacked. Like it's, you haven't, you haven't tried it. You haven't used it. You haven't thought about it. Well, and, and some of the guys that I know that, and that I've, you know, that I've worked with that are the most psychologically prepared actually carry less than the guys that I know that are least psychologically prepared. They, and, and tall, you know, and they'll, they'll walk out the front door saying, as, you know, as Tarek's saying, I'm prepared because I've got all of my kit. I've got my tourniquet. And I, well, how, you know, if you haven't prepared your brain to be able to do anything useful, then, and I've know, I know some guys that are very, very capable and they've been in some, some very difficult situations. And that, you know, they're the most, they're number one, the calmest bunch of guys. And they're, you know, they're, they're the least kitted up because they're like, well, actually I can use the tools that I have very, very proficiently and I can get to them when I need them and I know how to use them and I have used them. And therefore I don't need to carry a million one other stuff to compensate for it. Yeah. I can't remember who, who I saw make, make the comment. It was someone much cleverer than me, which is a huge piece. Which is basically uh, 7 billion people. <laughs> um, How many are there in the world? <laughs> yeah, about seven, seven point two or something. Uh, but it was along similar lines that the 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 better the better prepared you are, the less you feel the the less gear you feel you need. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. You know, I, I see guys with a knife in every pocket, and there was a time when I was that dude, and I look at it now, and I'm I'm, I'm not a ninja by any stretch, and I go. 
how are you going to stop me getting at least one of them? Um, you know, you, you, you've got two hands um, so and four knives. Uh, how are you going to stop someone from accessing one of those knives strapped around your body? Or, you know, you've, you've got yeah. two guns strapped on you. It's, it's all cool, but have you, have you thought through the next step? You know, have you thought through a realistic sort of scenario where you're going to need all this shit? I've had the discussion with guys all the time when people are telling me, you know, like, I don't think we've discussed in the show, I've discussed in class. You know, somebody says, well, if you're going to carry a single stack business, you're going to carry a, a shield or a Glock 48, or whatever, you must carry at least four spare magazines because then you've got the same <laughs> capacity as the dude with the double stack and two magazines. And I'm like, in what reality am are I you doing enough gaps <laughs> that I'm, I'm now doing the third reload? Like, like, what scenario am I in that not only have I shot all the bullets in this gun and this mag and this mag, but I've, I've had a gap to put that bag in the gun and then that gap, and now I'm getting a gap to go for my fourth fucking magazine. Um, what, what fight well, is this? Is this an episode of The Walking Dead? Or <laughs> Well, and it's like, and I know this is going to be relatively unpopular, but it's like the guys that carry, the, the, they've got their firearm, and then they carry the folding knife as their backup to their firearm. Like, so when your firearm goes down and jams, you're going to get your folding knife out and open Close the, the folding distance. knife. And yes, well done. I want to buy tickets for that because <laughs> I don't ever see that happening. Um, because if someone's busy punching you in the, yes. Oh yeah. That will make all the difference. And I, yeah, you know, man, I love my Emerson. I, I did actually, I gave my Emerson away. What? Is that a dot? No, I did. I gave my Emerson away. No, this is a CRKT uh, provoke. Uh, okay. Um, and yeah, you know, if they're, but I, you, uh, in my opinion, a folding knife is a utility. It's for utility. Um, the yeah. chance of, unless you are preemptive in, in other words, you've seen the attack come in, you've chosen not to, access your firearm for whatever reason and that you that you are going to use your your knife to take on that fight then rock and roll and you know and the idea of knife dueling again is a complete myth because how many times are you, if you've already got your knife out is this guy actually going to stand opposite you and get his little carpy out and actually start dueling with you no he's not it's going to be an unequal experience um you're probably not going to be able to access your knife you're going to be better off Instead of instead of moving your hands towards your waistband, you can be better off actually making sure you don't end up unconscious and creating enough space to be able to actually access a weapon that's worth having in your hand. And I think that's hard for gun guys. I mean, it was it was hard for me for a very very long time to kind of consider that. You know, I've I've got the magic solution. I have the the the, the Australian Tupperware. Um, what the fuck else do I need? No, you know, I I got a gun. If you fuck with me, son, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Um, and I think it's, it's, or or what was my line on us? First ECQC, sunshine. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's really difficult for gun guys. And I think from the other side, I see a fair amount of, uh, you know, guys from a martial arts background with the, I don't need a gun. You know, I'm, um, not quite. I'm going to use my cheebles. I'm going to use my cheebles to, (laughs) to knock over you, you people with your guns. Yeah, I'm going to Kiai Jitsu, boom. Oh, fuck. I'm a no-touch master. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's not what I've heard about you, Kunai. I believe you touch it a lot. I'm um, a full contact master. <laughs> <laughs> I think, and that, and that kind of circles back. I think in a lot of ways, it's also easier um, if you are doing this is not just the defensive thing to keep doing. You know, if, if you're going to start doing jiu-jitsu and after two years you haven't jiu-jitsued anyone, any bad guys in the real world, um, if the <laughs> only reason you're doing it is to jiu-jitsu bad guys in the real world, it starts becoming easy to go, well, I don't fucking need this. You know, if, if the only reason you're shooting is because one day I'm, I'm going to deal with El Shishkebob at the local mall, um, yep. it, it becomes really Your easy style. to, yeah. Whereas if you're doing... If you're doing jiu-jitsu for, for the, the joy of doing jiu-jitsu, weirdos, um, or if you're shooting for the joy of competition or, um, you know, you, you're boxing because it's a fantastic, beautiful thing or whatever, um, I think it makes it easier to, to, keep, to keep that motivation and, and to keep doing it when you haven't. I, yeah, and I, th- I agree. I think that I agree with that 100%. And I think that, if you're, whether you're shooting or whether you're doing jujitsu or whatever you're doing, if you, um, you will end up stopping if you don't end up teaching or doing competition, hmm. right? You've got to do one of those two things to be able to keep going because it, there will just be no point in investing that time any longer. And, and actually from a, from a, from a fighting point of view, it should be like that. If the, if the martial art or whatever you're doing is so complex that you've got to keep doing it for 20 years and never teach just just learning 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 then you're then it's too complicated you're never going to be able to do it anyway in a real world against bad guys um <laughs> so <laughs> um so yeah the way to the way to be able to get longevity in what you're doing is whether it's whether it's a fighting style or whether it's shooting i think is probably either teaching or doing competition or even better both yeah absolutely oh yeah there's, yep, yep. there's an old there's an old thing about those who teach learn. Um, I know I've I've learned a hell of a lot teaching uh, because it makes you think about things in a little bit more detail and and you see shit that you haven't seen yet. Um, mm. And yeah, I mean it's uh, and I've seen the same with competition, and I'm fairly sure that'll that'll cross over into pretty much any of the disciplines we're doing here. And, and while we've kind of hit upon jujitsu a lot here because that's kind of a been a big part of what you've done and, and because we know it it works it's a you know it's kind of pressure tested in that uh, there are I'm, I'm sure other things that could potentially work as well if if someone chose not to do that i, I can't think of them off the top of my head they're <laughs> <laughs> just trying to be nice <laughs> yeah there's a, there was a bit of di- diplomacy coming out of there for a moment and then it just went when you started laughing <laughs> people saw straight through that bullshit <laughs> I, okay i tried to pretend something else was i don't know but, um, i mean I, I i wouldn't want to try and go hands-on with it with with the sort of reasonable mma fighter yeah, all, all jokes aside, with a with a reasonable boxer, um, but, yeah, and yeah. I, people say to me, you know, if I, you know, if I, because obviously a lot of the combatives that I teach is is a course, and then you know a lot of the time they don't 
there, there's no conduit for them to carry on learning. And I, you know, people will say to me, well, what should, you know, how do I carry on? And basically I say, go do boxing. Uh, if you, you know, learn combatives, it shouldn't take long. Do boxing, do jujitsu. If you want to do some wrestling, you're good to go. You'll be able to deal with most situations you come across. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Unarmed point of view. Greco Roman could also possibly work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So we've got we've got boxing, we've got jujitsu, we've got Greco Roman, and then a whole lot of other shit. Do I, is that what you said, James Mark? That is what I said. Absolutely. <laughs> you may have some people at the um, at the studio get, door on Tuesday morning. I'm going to get hate mail right away. Yeah, absolutely. And at the end, of, you know, the other, I'm going to, I'm going to just sort of placate it a little bit. If someone wants to do a martial art for the art, great. Like if you want to do Aikido or or Tai Chi or whatever, whatever. In fact, I had a guy recently said to me he. He was like, I think I want to do crazy jiu-jitsu. I said, cool. And I gave him access to be able to look at some of the stuff on Grace University and stuff. And then a couple of days later, he was like, you know what? I don't think it's for me, actually. I'd rather carry on doing what I'm doing, which is Tai. And I said, oh, what are you doing? He was like, I was Tai Chi. I was like, great. Fabulous. I got, like, if you're doing it for an art or for the, for the art of Aikido or whatever, great rock and roll. But don't deceive yourself that it's going to be an effective way to deal with a criminal attack. Because it's just mm. not. Yeah, yeah and I, th- I think that, that once again, that we've we've set self awareness really hard. Um, I think that self awareness is important as well. Are, are you? It, it's a very very cool thing, or are you doing it because you think that this is going to help you break next? Mm. Uh, I, I remember years ago, I used to work in a place that had a. I don't think I've ever told the story. Um, that had a, a ninjutsu. And one of the dudes who used to go train at the range did jujitsu back in the day. Um, and he one day went through to go demo Brazilian jujitsu to the ninjutsu class. Uh oh, that's going to go And Saturday morning, yeah, the, set, the Saturday morning, we had a lot of guys arrive at the range with blue eyes, um, carpet burns on their foreheads, carpet burns on their cheeks. Uh, they, they look. They look like they just spent their first night in prison. Um, and for some of the guys, it was an eye opener. And for some of the guys, it was once again. Well, we couldn't use our two deadly for the ring techniques on this dude. And I think, like jokes aside, if I remember correctly, it was many, many years ago. I've had a few drinks since then. But I think he was like a blue belt or something. We're, we're not. You know, it wasn't Hoist Gracie coming in and and skull fucking people. Um, it was. A blue belt who uh, who came in and just crushed guys. Right, but you've also got to remember that, you know, back in, you know, when the, the UFC and all that kind of thing started, obviously Hoist Gracie was, uh, you know, was a, a, a black belt and proficient mm. uh, jiu-jitsu, to say the least. Um, but back in, you know, back in the day, you could have probably got away with being a high blue belt stroke early purple belt and still won the UFC. You probably could have, because if people don't know jujitsu, if they've never seen it before, then, then the, especially in that kind of situation, they're probably going to lose. Now, obviously it's not like that anymore, but uh, you know, back uh, uh, 20 years ago, um, a blue belt was, was, was good. A blue belt was good compared to guys that didn't know it and hadn't been exposed to any jujitsu. 
obviously, you know, everyone has, we, we get kids that have played the UFC game on Xbox and they come in and they do like triangles and that kind of thing. Um, so it's a very large portion of the population has been exposed to some sort of, and therefore understands or what I, what I would call orientation, right? And naturally, especially as, as men, I think we understand orientation. If I'm standing in front of you, um, we, uh, well, not me and you because I'm significantly shorter than you. Um, but some of my own height, I would say it's a 50, 50 event, right? Punching situation. Now, if I'm standing opposite you, it's a 75, 25 event because you've got gravity on your side and weight on your side and all the rest of it. So we understand. James called me fat on the show. Just so everyone heard that. (laughs) I called you Viking like. (laughs) (laughs) I think Vikings had real beards though. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sorry, you're interrupting the guest. Carry on, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) No, so I was just going to say, um, but on, when we get to the ground, uh, and if you, you know, back in the early UFCs, there was a time when Baz Rutten turned around and said, Hoist was under the fight, had the guard on his opponent and Baz Rutten turned around and said, Oh no, Hoist is under the fight. He's going to lose now. You know, that was, that was the understand, the commentator had that much understanding of, of orientation on the ground. But now we all have some degree of understanding of orientation and therefore a better ability to survive against jujitsu. I mean, jokes aside, my, my wife is probably half my size, realistically. Um, she's a two-stripe blue belt, and I think in a grappling situation, I'd have a fucking hard time getting past her unless I, I managed to get some really hard blows in. Um, you know, she ever choked you out yet, Tarek? Um, fortunately, I'm a lot taller than her, so she struggles to reach, and, and I, I live per- perpetually in fear. <laughs> Is that what it is? <laughs> you do have to lie down at some point. I thought you were going to say too much exactly monster. That. <laughs> that, that, that's why I, that's why I play Call of Duty so late at night because I wait for her to fall asleep, <laughs> <laughs> and then it's safe to go and lay down. Yeah. And then I can sneak into the bed. And the fuck, she listens to the show. She's I hope she's not listening to you right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. uh, but yeah. she'll she'll hear this on Monday. She's going to choke you out mid COD match. Uh-huh. Like we're going to be like. <laughs> Careful, Tarek, there's dudes around the corner and we're going to hear on the other side going. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you'll, 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 you'll hear the, uh, the, the, the Donald Duck noise. <laughs> <laughs> Have I ever told you my, my story about when I met Hoist Gracie? You met Hoist Gracie? I did. I met him at, uh, in, in Georgia in oh, 2016. No, no, he was shooting, uh, oh. he, he, he was shooting the, the Gunny GSSF match in Georgia in oh, 2017. Wow. And we arrived at, at Glock Professional. It was, and, and there was, um, Nikki, myself and Nikki's older brother. And we get there and Hoyce had to help Nikki out the car because the child lock was on the car. <laughs> so Nikki's <laughs> pulling on the door handle, desperately trying to get out. So Hoyce opened the door for him. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sparkles here, who's who's like, you know, I've I've watched UFC one, I don't know, twenty times. Goes, Gracie, so you must like be somehow involved in jujitsu. Oh no! To which this Brazilian man looks at me and goes, "You know UFC?" I'm like, "Yeah." He says, "That is me." <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> 
Very good. I saw it is the same day we were wearing bright. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very we we can't be friends. Mm-hmm. Eric, we can't be you friends anymore. James? Sorry. Yeah, we can't be friends anymore. Sorry. Sorry. If you didn't know who Hoist was, then, you know, Sorry. that that's it. It's leave, over. Leave. I may have even <laughs> mentioned you. I, I may have even mentioned your name. I know a dude who does that. Do you know him? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, and that was the same day that um, we were wearing these like obnoxious bright pink shooting shirts. And the gunny looks at us and goes, you know, I've always heard South Africans are tough, but I look at your shirt and I'm worried. We're like, gunny, if we can wear shirts like this, just think about how fucking tough we are. <laughs> <laughs> Valid. <laughs> it was a good day. Very cool. My claim to fame is, I met Hoist Gracie and didn't have a clue who he was, but it was slightly less embarrassing than having to have him let me out the car. Absolutely. And he does look very different now than he did back in 1994 as well. Hmm. Yeah, you know, that's the thing as well. He's, he's, not, he's not a hugely intimidating looking man on the face of it. Um, mm. You know, he's like a dude. He's not this... You know, and like the gunny was, was a big dude. You know, he was an old dude then already, but he was a big dude. So there was this big dude who I know because I'm a gun guy. And, uh, and there's some like Brazilian dude. Like, yeah. how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> you, your surname's Gracie. You must know something about jujitsu. Yeah, you know, I'm a cock. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, I, I see James has already left the uh, the, the group on, on WhatsApp. I think he's serious about this whole thing. He's not going to be. <laughs> yeah. My, my thing is hovering over the leave button on the uh, on Zoom. <laughs> on the, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> why, does, why does my phone say blocked by James Small? <laughs> <laughs> oh, look what you've done, Terry. <laughs> That's. What I do. Uh, <laughs> so, James, if people want to train with you, um, we will obviously put the details in the show notes, but uh, just uh, for the, the, the members of our audience who can't read or who can't read English, um, where, where should they look for you? What's the best way to get hold of you? Um, you know, is it to hit you up on the grams or email you? Or, or what's the best way for people to get hold of you and go, I want to train with you? Um, yeah, any, any and all of the above. So graciejujitsu.co.za um, for that side of things, streetsmart-group.com for the combative side, um, james at streetsmart-group.com for emails or Instagram or Facebook or whatever. Um, it's all there. And, and, we'll, and we'll put all of those up on the, on the show notes as well. We'll just awesome. hit up Corn or Gaz or I and we'll get you in touch with, with, with James. Um, and you, uh, you don't just offer training for, for private people. You do training for, for anti-poaching. You do training for security companies. So if someone's got a security company and they want their guys to have some sort of skills, uh, and, and, and realistically, guys, something, something to consider is if your guys can choke someone out and put him to sleep, it's a lot better than beating him to sleep with a bat, um, you know, if, if, if that's an option, uh, there's a lot less paperwork. There's a lot less sort of potential smashing him in the head of the PR24. Yeah, absolutely. 
you're, you're doing massive robot voice, T-Bag. Yeah, we lost you for a moment or two there. Yeah, we were waiting for you to catch back up, which you did. You sounded like you, you did the chipmunk again. This time it's in the show. Tomo arigato, Mr. Roboto. <laughs> and James, you'll you'll train guys anywhere. You you're happy to travel to to wherever they are and put on a seminar or, or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm traveling a lot anyway, uh, mainly for the security. So um, I'm pretty much in Pretoria every six weeks ish. Um, so what I often do is just do a sort of I, I connect other training courses to when I'm in the area anyway, so to speak. So. Um, but yeah, KZN, Paul Elizabeth, Victoria, Stroke Joburg, Cape Town. Um, so yeah, I'll travel wherever, no problem at all. Af- uh, where have I been? Afghanistan, um, uh, to do courses, uh, Thailand, that was to do courses, um, the US, all over. Happy to go anywhere. Well, I'd like to point out that James is in uh, Pretoria every six weeks and we haven't had a beer in how long? Uh, but moving swiftly along. Um, Mo- moving along. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Ne- yes. Yeah. Do you, do you like the way I fi- I started fixing it before we got onto the show tonight? Wise. Yeah. If you have open enrollment classes that you're advertising, please just let me to your guys know, and we'll be sure to share them on the show or to our pages and things, um, so people can find you. Awesome. In courses are actually happening. But you have to, do. Thank you. to at least listen to some of the podcasts. Well, okay. He's I not going to listen up. to this one. I, I have signed up to the podcast now, so um, I will listen. <laughs> and I will share. <laughs> You're and a great five guy. stars. Because I'm always at least five stars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what Derek said. I mean, you were on this one. So if you don't think it's with five stars, then, you know. You might need a hug. Um, I know. I'll I'll do five stars on this one. Excellent. All the others, one star. This is total shit. <laughs> but somehow they got this episode right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Abs, thank you so much for taking time out to join us for the show today. We really appreciate it. Um, it it's been a really good chat, and and you're welcome back anytime. Um, we'd, we'd really like to unpack this a little bit more at another stage, but. Uh, I can personally like heartily recommend that you train with James um, and, and not just because he's my mate. Um, I've trained with James a couple of times. He, he, he is a really, really good instructor uh, and, and it's, it's sort of, it's workable, real world stuff. I haven't done jiu-jitsu with him because I don't hate myself, um, but I've done, I've done some other stuff and it was, it was definitely worth the while. So James, thanks so much for joining us. Um, and, uh, if, if there's anything we can do to help, let us know. My pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me on the show. Much appreciated. It was uh, it exceeded my expectations. Daily, <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, thanks very much. Much appreciated. Awesome. Later, losers. <laughs> <laughs>